Those are really nice words. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> um, and you guys, uh, I am really grateful and excited to be able to spend the morning with you. Um, I've felt for a long time like we have some special connections um, with this church, with branches. Uh, our church, North Point, planted in South Bend almost 10 years ago, um, and you all planted pretty shortly after, just within a couple of years. And so I had this awesome privilege of being able to like get snippets of conversations and discerning and planning um, with, with your planting pastors when they were getting ready to launch out. Um, I've been able to attend a handful of like worship nights or leaders trainings in this room, um, memories with God that happened here. Um, and since Amanda has made this transition, I've watched online to sermons and services and tried to keep track of the things that are happening here at your church. So I feel like I already have like connections here in this place. Um, but, but as um, Justin said, um, our story actually goes, goes further back than that. I've known your pastor for, I was trying to figure it out, at least 15 years maybe 18. When we were children, no, no. Um, our paths started to cross, I think, when we were both um, attending and serving in different vineyard churches in the area, um, in like our young adulthood. Um, I would go when I was on staff as like the kids ministry person at another vineyard church, and Amanda was the office person at the Syracuse Vineyard. We would show up to like uh, like leadership stuff, and we would be the only girls in the room. <laughs> and I would always be like, "Man, she looks fun." I think when I first met her, she had super short hair. She was just the coolest looking girl. And I remember thinking, I would like to be friends with her. And our paths continued to cross over the years. Eventually, we went to um, a preaching training together in Michigan, and that kind of solidified something more than just like acquaintancehood. Um, and we became friends. Then we traveled a few times together. We went down to Texas to a women in leadership symposium while God was like doing something in both of us and moving us each in a new direction. And, and then over the years, we just um, grew to love each other and be part of each other's lives to the point where um, Amanda officiated our wedding last summer, which was a really, really special thing. Um, so I love your pastor, and I love your church, and I'm really grateful to be able to be here with you guys this morning. Um, but aside from just the, the personal, the truth is I think that our churches um, have, have more in common than that. We're both um, smaller churches in the middle of the Midwest, led by female pastors with a similar timeline. And I would venture to say um, that we likely have a lot in common in terms of vision and values and the kind of community that we really hope to create where we live and where we are. I've seen enough of what you all are doing and building here at Branches, and I've had enough conversations with Amanda to be able to say, yeah, I think that, um, I think that God has us moving in a really similar direction. We're both committed um, as churches to, to building kind of a, a unique community within our communities, we know that we offer something special as vineyard churches that prioritize the work of the Spirit, um, as churches that are committed to making room for new people, um, as churches that are committed to empowering um, the kingdom to move kind of in a, in a different way. And, um, and at a time like this in our like 
current cultural snapshot um, when you consider um, you know, the, the worldwide public health crisis of the last few years and the political turmoil and difficult conversations and relational tension. As I see you, your pastor try to navigate like this world and see where God is moving your church, I think, oh yes, these are my people. This is what we're doing. We're doing this thing together. Amanda shared with me just in the last few weeks as we were talking about this whole church swap thing um, that, that the Lord has kind of given your leadership team like a, a fresh vision for this season, season. She said that you guys are working to build a loving, spirit-centered community. And I can see that happening. I can see that growing. There's something different even when I am here standing in this room. Um, you know, the last time I was here was probably four years ago, I think, at some leadership thing. And I can see a, a little, I can see that happening. I can see you guys moving in that direction. As I watch from a distance over in South Bend, I get this sense that, that God is doing that thing, that he's building something new and special here. And so kind of um, as Amanda and I talked about this church swap thing, one of the things that we hoped um, would be, yes, that we'd get to see each other's churches and meet each other's churches and kind of give each other a Sunday off, except not really because I'm here and no one gets a Sunday off. Um, uh, but we wanted to try to build a bigger picture for what God was doing within our area within the vineyard. And the way that we decided to do that would be by each coming to each other's church and kind of sharing what's happening in our neck of the woods, if that makes sense. And so um, this summer at North Point, we've been on kind of like a, like a Bible adventure. We put this goal out in front of us that we would dig deep into the scriptures um, around a certain and specific theme. We're looking at the biblical theme of garden, of growth and green and trees and fruits and plants, and this whole thing that fills up this book. Um, and we're trying to like dig and mine wisdom for our lives from that perspective. So we're looking at this notion that God is a designer and a sustainer and a cultivator and a gardener, and that the heart of this plan, this picture, is his hope for human flourishing and fullness and goodness. So we've been looking through the scriptures towards this particular like theme with this specific lens, and here's what we're learning. God is a good gardener, and he wants to see us grow. But before we jump into that biblical theme, I'll get there, I promise. I'll give you a little bit more information about me, and that is um, I am the worst when it comes to plants. The worst. I, I don't have any kind of green thumb. I joked for a while that it was like the black thumb of death. I kill just about everything I ever touch, but, I have, but I've tried. I have tried. So I told you I got married last summer, and in that process, we moved into a new home, and I thought, this is a good chance. I am become, going to become a plant person. I'm going to move into a new home. I'm going to fill it with plants. I'm going to sustain them and cultivate them and nourish them, and it's going to be great. I kind of blamed my black thumb deficit on the fact that my last house had very few windows, so I thought, this is good. 
This will help me move in the right direction. So I like researched what kinds of plants I should buy and like where I should put them. And I got them and I had a list that I kept of all of the kinds of plants and like how much and how often they need watered. I knew which ones needed direct sunlight and indirect sunlight. I, um, I tried hard. And you wanna know what happened to all of my plants. I am not even joking. None of them survived. None of them. There was a plant, and I read when I Googled it on the internet, it said, this plant right here is the plant you can't kill. You could put it in a black bathroom, and it would be fine. And it's gone. It's just gone. It's just gone. <sighs> and it bums me out, because I would really love to be a plant person. Do you know that your pastor Amanda is a plant person? Yes, she is. She's a, she is a plant person. When we bought a new house last summer, um, Amanda and Justin drove over to visit us. And as a housewarming present, your pastor brought me like a beautiful fiddle leaf fig tree. Do you know what these are? A fiddle leaf fig? If you don't know, if you've watched Justin's video where he sits under like that Jurassic Park tree, yes? Then, then that's what a fiddle leaf fig is. She, um, Amanda brought me like a very manageably sized one, right? And it literally helped me find like the place to put it in my living room where she's like, I think that will get just enough light. And she told me, she told me, Tara, everyone says that these are hard to maintain. Don't listen to them. It's going to be fine. Just water it every three weeks. It didn't last three months. It just didn't. <laughs> I'm sad. I didn't tell her until she read this in my notes just the other day because I didn't have the heart to tell her. I couldn't do it. But I am not a plant person. The good news, though, is that God is a good gardener. And he wants to see us grow. And so... Like I said, for the last few months at North Point, we've been looking at this theme, and it's just been really rich for us. And so my hope in the time that I get to spend with you, um, I've, been, I've been praying that God might give me some insight about what's growing here, like, like what he's doing. Um, and so I hope to share some of that with you. And I really want to open your eyes to this biblical picture because it's really enriched um, my, like, view this in these last few months and our church as we walk through this thing together. So this theme of God as gardener, the truth is if you look through this book, starting on the first page, you're going to see it over and over and over again in a hundred different ways, the ways that God uses plants and uh, fruit and gardens and growth and harvest to tell the story about what he's doing in our world. And it's this story about how much he loves us and how much he longs to care for us. It's beautiful. And it's everywhere, all over the place, this theme of garden in this book. It's so common, actually, I think that it could be really easy to just skip it and not notice it. It's just kind of hanging out in the background of just about everything we read. And actually, a few months ago, when I started studying into this stuff, um, I, I was becoming more and more aware as I was spending time in the scriptures of, like, this theme popping up. And one morning, I decided that I, I would keep my eyes open to, to green and growing things. So on my drive from my home to our church, which was, like, maybe a 15-minute drive through town, I thought, I wonder if I could count the trees. 
the trees. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like at an intersection when this thought hit my head, and it was a, a red light, and I thought, real quick, let's see how many trees are at this intersection. And how many of you know it was like a stupid thing to do? Because you can't count them, all of the trees. There's no way. Now, try it on your way home. Like, give yourself the challenge. Can I count the trees? We live in Indiana. You can't. They're everywhere. Now, not everywhere is like that. Plenty of places um, that you might have a little more sparse, whatever. But you get the point. It's everywhere. And the truth is, when you start looking in this book um, and looking for this theme to see what God is doing, to see what God is growing, like, it's everywhere, all of these examples. From the burning bush to Psalm 1, where we had the tree with the roots by the water, right? To all throughout Jesus's teachings, like you can't not see it. And I think that matters because the truth is for the original authors of this book and the original hearers of these scriptures, like they didn't take green for granted, right? This book was literally like dropped into a desert landscape for people who were hot and thirsty to read. And so just about every time we read about a tree or a plant or something growing, we have to know that God was like speaking life to his people. It was like a beautiful promise every time we see some of those words. But we live in Indiana. There's more trees than we could ever count. And so we miss a lot of it. We miss a lot of it. And so here's one prayer, as I was thinking, that you might want to grab hold of today, and that would be to just ask, your, ask the Lord to open your eyes to what he's growing. Like, God, would you just show me? Would you, like, show me what it is you're growing? Show me where it is you're moving. Show me what you're doing, because it's always more than, than, than we can see or that we're willing to pay attention to. Maybe that's more applicable. But anyway, back to the book. Um, if you will, I'm going to get down to this message of God as a gardener, and where is he growing. Um, but I'd like to paint the biblical picture for you, if you'd let me for a minute. And so we're going to read just two quick passages today um, from the very beginning of this book and the very end of this book. So it should be easy to follow along. Um, if you have a Bible or want to, we'll be in Genesis um, 2 in just a minute. But before we get there, uh, when you open up the scriptures, the very first chapter that we have is Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1 is kind of this cosmic cinematic view of creation. It is the very large-scale picture of God taking nothingness and making it everything, right? And so we read about God separating light from darkness and land from sea and, and doing like the cosmic work of creation. But then we get to Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, we zoom in a little bit on the creation story um, and see some of the, the detail work of what God is doing. And so we're going to kind of telescope in on this today, and we're going to read um, just, I don't know, a handful of verses here. So this is Genesis chapter 2. Um, we'll start in verse 4. And it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth, 
and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We'll read a few more verses. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, he's going to talk for a little bit about the rivers. We're going to skip those because they're not relevant for us today. Let's go to verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. All right, this is a familiar picture for a lot of us before, but what I want you to do with me um, is picture it. Like, try to visualize the thing that we've just read. God creates the heavens and the earth, but the earth doesn't have any trees or any shrubs. It's doing this weird self-watering thing where streams are coming up from the ground and watering the earth. And then God creates man from the dust of the earth, from the dirt. He bends down, he digs down, puts his hands into the soil, and he sculpts a man. In verse 7, we read, Then the Lord formed a man... From the dust of the ground, right? And so this is the same passage that we read and refer to when we go to funerals, right? That from dust you have come into dust you will return. You were created from the dust of the earth. But remember, like we're starting on this ball that's covered with water and there's streams of water coming up from the ground. So what happens when you mix dust with water? You get Mud. Mud. And we actually see this picture all, all throughout our scriptures, too. Um, kind of this idea of the muddy mess of mankind. Um, in Job 10, we read this. It says, Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me into dust again? The prophet Isaiah uses the same image. He says, and yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand, made out of dirt and water. Psalm 40 says, he brought me up out of the miry pit of destruction. Out of the miry clay, he set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. You see this picture? of God getting down in the dirt to make mankind out of dust and water. This image of the gardener and the potter, they're images we see all throughout the scripture, and both require, right, your hands and the dirt, like guiding and shaping and building and forming what? Us. Us. And what does God do when he's dug down into the dirt and made himself a mankind? What does he do? He takes that man 
and he plants him in the garden that God had planted. So let's look back at verse 8 really quick. Verse 8 says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. So before the act of creating mankind, when the world was still formless and void, it was wild, it was wilderness, it was everywhere, right? And in the midst of that, what we see God do is come and bring things into order. And so he has this garden. And I want you to think about it. A garden, by definition, is a cultivated space, like a carefully cared for, designed place. A garden isn't just a field full of wildflowers. That's a field full of wildflowers. But a garden is a place that's been carefully crafted with an intention and with a purpose. And so when God made his mankind, he didn't just plop him out into wilderness. He didn't leave him on his own. He planted mankind in this garden place, in this cultivated space. He cared for him by placing him there, right? And specifically, interestingly, in the middle of this garden, we see trees, two of them, right? Our scripture says that there were two trees in the very middle of the garden. There's the tree of life and the tree of death, yeah? And it's a little confusing, I know, to think that in this beautifully cultivated garden that God created, that he's going to plant not just the tree of life, but also the tree of death. And you can ask your pastor Amanda more about that when she gets back next week. That's not where we're, like, living today. But in the middle of this garden, we have the tree of life and the tree of death. Let's think about this tree of life, because this is actually the theme that pulls through the entire scripture for us. We have the tree of life there in the garden, right in the center. And this tree of life, you guys, symbolizes and signifies for us, like, God's very presence, like, amid and among his people. God puts a tree there, and he tells Adam that he can eat from it and that he can find life there. It's an image of God making himself totally available and accessible to his people, of coming and living and dwelling with them, right? This, like, sustaining source of life right there in the middle of the garden. They were told that they could come and they could eat. They could participate in communion with God. They did choose, unfortunately, the other option, right? But from the very, very beginning, when God planted this garden and planted mankind in the middle of it, he made, him, made sure to make himself available to all. Mm-hmm. And then he put him to work, right? We read that too. Uh, I don't have the verse number down here. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. So do you guys have a, a picture? I know we can't picture it. Wouldn't it be fun to see it one day? Maybe we get to see, like, images of what it looks like. But can you kind of use your, like, spiritual imagination and picture it with me? this garden, and God the gardener there, like digging his hands in the dirt to shape and create mankind, 
like intimately and meticulously creating these people who were made to look and live like God himself and then planting them in the garden, in this place of abundance and provision and presence. Like this is the picture that we have given to us in this book. And it's all centered around this garden, which is centered around this tree. That's our, like our opening snapshot for the story of humanity. And then guess what happens? And this is the kind of stuff that just blows my mind about this book. If you guys don't really, really love the Bible. Ugh. Because if you get all the way to the end, now we're in the final pages. Do you know what we see? We see the same image repeated for us to see. And this is when we know that God is trying to like create something big for us, right? Because of the repetition we see, not just from end to end, but all throughout. Anyway, but um, let's flip there and look then now at the last chapter of this book in Revelation 22. Now in Revelation 22, we get this wonderful picture of what eternity looks like, but I do want to throw out the disclaimer because I do every time that I reference it. Please know that Revelation is not some apocalyptic nightmare story. Do you know what I mean? What we have in Revelation um, is not this thing that's meant to scare us into some kind, like what we have in the book of Revelation is, yeah, this picture into eternity, but also this picture of Another thing that's happening, not on the garden level, but, but this battle that's happening between the forces of the kingdom and, and, and the forces of evil and hate and greed and empire that the world brings, you know what I mean? And so here in this chapter, we see um, this, that conflict coming to conclusion in this beautiful picture that God paints for us of what eternity looks like. And just so you know, it all centers around a garden, <laughs> and it all centers around a tree. So will you read this now with me? In Revelation 22, we are going to read the first verses. Yeah. In verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb and down the middle of the great street and down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding fruit in every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations no longer will be, there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servant will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the, a lamp nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you hear that? Do you hear all the repeated imagery? Like we skipped the section in Genesis about the rivers, but there's this river that's running through this city. And how does a tree get on either sides of the river? I don't really know. It's a pretty special tree. But it's the tree of life, and that's what we find there. And what is the tree of life good for? It is the medicine that heals every nation. Man. This is the place that God has prepared for his people like, are you convinced yet that God is a good gardener? 
and that the work he started on day one, he's bringing to completion at the end of the age, and we get to be there. Man, it's a good picture. A garden surrounded by rivers with a tree at the center. Yeah? So this is the picture that the biblical authors are painting for us of what God is doing. He's carefully cultivating a place for his people because he is intent on their flourishing and their fullness. And I'm telling you, friends, if you open your eyes to it, you're just going to see it over and over and over again when you read through this book. Hardly a day would you spend in these scriptures without some kind of image that isn't related to this theme to pull you back to the place God is bringing us when we once and for all get to live in a city where he sits at the center and he is all we need. We don't even need sunshine anymore because God is there and his presence has healed all things. It's the place he's pulling us. It's the place he's bringing us. And it is one of the strongest undercurrents of this book. And so with that in mind, now that I hopefully have like painted this picture for you of God being a gardener, um, what can we learn? And what can we see? Um, and this is the part of the message where I ask the Lord to really give me some words for you, for your church, for what he's doing here. And so a few things, and I'll put them up on the screen, but here are some thoughts. If God is a good gardener, um, what can we know? What can we know? And the first one um, is that if God is a good gardener, he has more than enough for everybody. He has more than enough for everybody. Do you ever meet somebody with like a good garden? My dad has a good garden. Um, and, and do you know what he all, also always has? Tomatoes. Like so many tomatoes. I literally went to see a movie with my mom this week. My parents live in Goshen, so I drove like the 35 minutes or whatever. And I get there, and on the countertop, my dad has two tiny tomatoes. He's like, Tara, take these. They're the first ones, the first tomatoes. And how many of you know I will have tomatoes until September? Because my, because my dad's a good gardener. You know, you know what else you always have enough of if you're, if you're a good gardener? Zucchini. Do you know how many zucchini, one zucchini plant? You know what I mean? Don't you plant five zucchini plants? And just so you know, you'll have, you, there is too, men, too much of a good thing. You can only make zoom, so much zucchini bread, along with your entire neighborhood and everyone you know, because what do you do when you have a zucchini plant in your backyard? You just take zucchinis with you everywhere. They're like in your purse because you're trying to get rid of them, and you're giving them to everybody, yes? When you're a good gardener, you have more than enough for everybody. And we see this so strong in this image of the garden from our passages today. First, um, we have this picture of Eden, right? Where God has put this tree that represents himself at the very center of the garden, like with an invitation to come and to eat to come and to commune. One of my favorite pictures from all of Scripture is found in those early pages where it said that God would invite Adam and Eve to walk with him in the cool of the evening. 
God's intention to be available to his people, to make himself available to his people. And then when we fast forward to the end of the book in Revelation 22, we have this tree, again, sitting at the very center of the city where everyone can see it. I bet there's not a gate around it. We don't read anything about a gate. And we know that the leaves of this tree are for the healing of all nations. And so we have this picture of God's abundance and availability. And man, what it, would it look like for us to really, really, truly believe and to like set straight in our hearts that God is more than available and that God is more than enough. Like for all of all of the needs and all of the hungers we have, what would it look like to really actually know that this was true? Hmm. Lord, would you do that in us? Would you set that truth right in us? Another thought that comes to mind when I think about like the abundance and the availability of God um, is the thing that you guys are trying to do here like the abundant welcome that you're trying to create in this space, right? This vision your leadership team has put out in front of you to be a loving and spirit-centered community is a vision of invitation. It's the thing that you guys are trying to do here, to like open the doors and say, listen, like the God of the universe is here and we get to come and we get to be with him and, and, and there's not a gate around his garden. Like he's here and we get, to, like we get to partake. Will you come? It's the thing you guys are trying to do. And with that in mind, like maybe there's someone in the room who has, who has wondered um, if this is the place for you to be if this is the place for you to stay. And here's something I want to tell you because I really believe it. Um, this is good soil. This is good soil. You know, um, Jesus told a, a story, a parable in the New Testament about the four soils. You've probably heard it before. One was like rocky soil, and so the roots couldn't go deep. And one was shallow soil, and the plants got all scorched. And one, there's all kinds of weeds. And then there was, there was one place that was good soil. Um, and I'm going to tell you, this place is good soil. I, I know it because I know your leaders. And they're cultivating. They're doing that work. This is good soil. And something good is going to grow here. I know it. I can see it. I can see the fruit of it. This is a good soil place. And if you're wondering if this is the place for you to be or the place for you to stay, I hope you would hear that. I'm telling you. In a season where, oh, am I supposed to say this? Has anybody had a moment in the last 2.5 years where they have thought, man, it is hard to be a Christian, and if I wasn't one, I might not be one? If I didn't really believe that the local church was the hope of the world, I might. It's hard right now to follow Jesus and to do it well. It's hard right now to, like, um, align with the church when you see, like, failures and flaws all over the place. Like, when you have to watch them on the nightly news. You know what I'm saying? It's hard. I would come to this church. I would, like, attend here, and I would serve here, and I would put my hands up in the air during worship time, and I would give, and I would love my leaders. Like, I would, this is good soil place. I think a lot of you know that. 
because you're here on a rainy Sunday morning. But it is. This is a good soil place. Okay, next thing. Um, when we think of God being a good gardener, I have no idea how much time I have left, Justin. Okay. All right. Um, next, a good gardener is not afraid to get his hands dirty. Man, I think this is why I can't grow anything, truthfully. Because especially like outdoor gardening, how many of you know that you get that dirt in your fingernails and then it's just black? Ugh. I'm telling you, the green thumb of death. Um, but this is the good news. A good gardener isn't afraid to get their hands dirty. Our good gardener is the one who took <laughs> dust and mixed it with water and got down in it so that he could make us and form us and know us. And so if you feel like you have any kind of dirt in your life, any kind of mess in your life, please know that our good gardener is not embarrassed by it or ashamed of it or reluctant to welcome you into his presence. He's not even dirty with you when you like track dirt into the house. Now he's totally ready to help you clean up, but he is not afraid to get dirty. And now I think some of us have this sense that, um, that once we get all cleaned up, right, and the Holy Spirit starts doing his work in our lives, and we've, like, been trained, changed and transformed, so um, I just better never get dirty again because uh, he really only forgave me that one time. You know what I mean? But some of us know what it's like when we, like, just keep tracking dirt into the house. And so sometimes we, 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 we wonder what he's going to say the next time we try to come back with a little bit of dirt on our shoes. But the good news is um, that our good gardener is not afraid of a little bit of dirt. In fact, um, he's deeply interested in the, in the details of your life. Did you know that? This is another beautiful thing about a good gardener is that they, um, they, they know what's happening like in their space. Yeah? They know what's what's going on with their little plants. Like, like, they don't just say, garden's doing good today. They walk out there and they're like, man, um, I might need to do some pruning. I don't know, because I don't do garden things, but you know what I mean? But like, they, they'll know where the work needs to be done. Like, how many of you know that a good gardener can like look at a plant and go, man, those leaves are just too yellow? Or those leaves aren't supposed to curl that way. And then that good gardener comes along and like does the help and the work that they need to do to make a garden grow. That's what a gardener does. That's what a cultivator does. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He knows the details of your life. He's not ashamed of your mess or embarrassed by it. He's much bigger than that. And he's doing something much bigger. A good gardener is not afraid to get their hands dirty. Maybe someone needs to hear that today. Um, next, a good gardener can bring back to life things that look like they're dead. And man, if this isn't just my favorite thing about Jesus. How, yeah. How many of you know that you, you might um, look at something and think that it's dead, a little plant because it's shriveling or its leaves are drooping, and you might look at it, but a good gardener might be able to come in and say, no, 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 that's not dead. You just got to trim this back. Or, mm -mm, that's not dead. We just need to move it to a different place. Let's put it by this window. You know what I mean? 
No, 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 no. That's not, that's not, things not dead. You just can't water it to death, Tara. That's why all my plants die. But how many of you know a good gardener can look at something that looks like it's on its last leg and they can bring it back to life? And there might be an area of your life where it just feels like it's dying. Like it, you're like beyond drooping. You're at like the brown crusty stage. Maybe not all of your life, but just like this one area. Like let me tell you that our God is such a very good gardener that he can come in and like carefully prune and can bring back to life stuff that we just thought was over that we just thought was dead because our God is the God of resurrection, which means there's a little bit of magic in the mix, yeah? It's good. Man, a good gardener can bring back to life things that they thought were dead. And then I have one more thing to share with you today before I get to pray for you guys. Um, Like we talked a little bit about the macro, about like what God's doing big picture. From beginning to end of this book, And we talked a little bit about, um, like, the micro version of this story, about the stuff that God's doing in our own lives, the fact that he's paying attention to the details. But there's, like, a a meta aspect of this story, too, where the story, like, folds back on top of itself because God is a good gardener, and he's cultivating something in our world and in us. But in the beautiful way that the kingdom works, we must remember, friends, that, that we are gardeners, too. That when God created Adam and Eve and planted them in the garden, he planted them there to care for it. And even in this Revelation passage, you guys should read it again, because even in this Revelation passage at the end when it says, um, right, that there's going to be no need for light or a lamp or the sun at all, for the Lord will give them light forever, them, that's you and me and all of us. And then he says, and they will reign forever and ever. And that they is actually us, because we get to do that thing with him into all of eternity to rule and to reign like he established in these first pages. Sorry, tangent, because I really love the Bible. But what you need to know is that you are a gardener, and you are a cultivator, and you have been planted in a place and entrusted with its care. In your home, in your marriage, in your workplace, in this church, God is a good gardener, and he's looking for some good gardeners to help him Yeah? So God, will you make us uh, ready for the task? Please. Thank you. All right, with that in mind, I don't know how you guys end, so here's what I'm going to do. Alicia's coming up for prayer. I think that's the plan. Um, But I'm going to pray over you, and my prayer over you will be simple this morning. Um, I just want to pray over the soil, like this place, and the hearts here. So will you pray with me? Um, Heavenly Father, our good gardener, thank you. Thank you for being a caretaker, um, a cultivator. Thank you for knowing every detail of our lives and being committed to our growth and our flourishing. And thank you, Lord, for your invitation to Partake and participate in your kingdom. I pray this morning for my friends here at Branches Vineyard Church. Lord, I pray for the soil in this place. 
that it would be rich and full of nutrients and ready to, to grow something strong and sustaining and nourishing. And I pray for the individuals in this room, Lord, and the little gardens that they represent, the households and the homes, the marriages and the families and the friendships, the workplaces and classrooms and offices and factory floors where the people in this room plant, where they cultivate, where they do the work of the kingdom. Lord, will you be the thing that makes it all grow? Mm. Lord, thank you for your good work in this place, and would you keep it